Good morning, everyone. I should, I don't know why I said that. I said a gospel, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. It's actually Matthew. I don't know. I just wanted to catch you, see if any of you knew. Um, today, our, our gospel is uh, from Matthew chapter 25. Uh, and our readings today are all about marriage and weddings. In fact, a couple weeks ago, if you remember, we heard another parable from Jesus uh, in Luke chapter, or there it is again, in Matthew 22, about a king who throws a wedding feast for his son. And he sends out his servants, and all those who were invited to the feast aren't worthy. And they make excuses, and eventually they end up inviting a whole different group of people. Today's parable, in, in many ways, is very similar to that parable in Matthew 22. And we'll get to that. But I want to just start today, and I want you to think, the Bible is filled with stories about weddings and marriage. In fact, some, some scripture scholars would say that from beginning to end, the scriptures are a story of marriage. Right? We, we begin in Genesis 1, and, it, and there's a culmination with Adam and Eve, the marriage in the beginning. And marriage runs throughout. In the Old Testament, you have God's bride is Israel. In the New Testament, God's bride is the church. And finally, at the, at the very end of the Bible, you have the wedding of heaven and earth in the New Jerusalem. And so scripture tells us a lot about weddings. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. Most of the time, we love weddings. Some of my couples who are marriage prep with me, they tell me that their friends ask them, they say, well, are you going to have a Catholic wedding? Like, it's going to be that full, like, 45 minutes, and they're like, we've got Father Brian. <laughs> right? Wait until you see this wedding, right? And sometimes, you know, we love weddings, but sometimes we get a little wedding out. <clears throat> when I was entering seminary, and I remember as the years in seminary went on, all of my friends were getting married. And it was wonderful, but, you know, you, after a while, you've seen so many of them. The wild part about weddings for priests, of course, it's funny, in seminary, you're, you feel so called and your heart's so on fire for the Lord. And wisely, the seminary, we have a, a wonderful class on marriage. And they're really smart. They leave that until third theology, which is your second to last year. And so by that point, you're like locked in. <laughs> and I remember that class in third theology. And it was an amazing class. And you read all of these church fathers, and you read the scriptures, and you read the church documents on marriage. And basically, everyone and everything says to you, marriage is the best thing on earth. It images the Trinity. It's the union of man and woman. It teaches us how to love. And you're, you're kind of really close to making your promise of celibacy. And women start looking better than they ever have at that point. And you've heard me say it before, but it's true. I just have to tell you again. My friend, Father John, he always helped me. Because I was like, why am I going to be a priest? And he would grab me. He's like, Larkin. They're crazy. They're all crazy. <laughs> all of them. 
I was like, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> like, celibacy, okay. And then you become a priest, and all these married people are like, my spouse is crazy. Marriage is so hard. I should have been a priest. But there is something amazing about weddings, isn't there? I just, I really do love them. I do a lot of weddings now. And my, maybe my favorite moment, probably second favorite, the most beautiful is the vows. But there is this powerful moment at a wedding, and it's, you've heard me say it before. When the door is open and the bride comes down that aisle, it is, I don't know if there's anything like it. It is so powerful. And everyone in the church feels it. And even if, they, if they're single or divorced or if they're in a, a hard place in their marriage, you still just feel the power of that moment. And the groom's always standing right here. And you feel like you can just feel his heart ready to leap out of his chest. Uh, it's amazing. Incredible. And today, brothers and sisters, the first thing I really want to draw your attention to is Jesus is always talking about weddings. And the New Testament is always talking about how Jesus came to lay down his life, his life for his church, his bride. All right, in Ephesians chapter 5, St. Paul tells us that Christ laid down his life for his bride, the church. The New Testament is a wedding story. And that's what our gospel is today. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven shall be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And the first point I want to just make this morning is, does your faith feel like that? Our faith is meant to be not something that just kind of makes sense. It does. I hope as you come to Lord's, I hope you've learned that the Catholic Church is so rich the wisdom that has been stored in the church by God is unbelievable. And you can spend your entire life and all of eternity and you'll never get to the bottom of it. It is so beautiful. It's so truthful. It makes so much sense. But your faith is not merely meant to be something that just makes sense. Your, your faith, brothers and sisters, your relationship to God is supposed to be a desperate romance. You're supposed to feel the way that groom feels when he sees his bride come through those doors. And ladies, when, when, when the bride comes through there and sees her groom, your faith should be like that. Your heart should come alive because of the love you have for the groom, for Jesus. That's what our faith is supposed to be like. And quite frankly, I just don't think most Catholics are that way. And they're missing something. And if that's you this morning, the first thing I want to offer you is you're missing something. You're missing out. If you have not opened your heart to that grace yet, brothers and sisters, you're missing something. God has something for you that can bring your heart and make it everything it was meant to be. A joy beyond anything you imagined. 
There's an old blog I used to read, and uh, the title caught my eye. It's called Bad Catholic. I haven't read it in years, but uh, it just reminded me of me, I guess. But it's actually from Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor was a famous American Catholic. She's one of the greatest short story writers in American history. And she has a famous quote where she said that the only good Catholic is one who says they're not. Right? We've got that Catholic guilt thing going. It's like, somebody's like, yeah, I'm pretty good Catholic. You're like, no, you're not. <laughs> but anyway, so Flannery O'Connor gave that quote to him. And so this bad Catholic blog, the front page of it was awesome. It had a bunch of nuns in the traditional habits, which I just love. They're so beautiful, but they're all smoking. I was like, yes, that's so awesome. And he had a quote, though. This is the point I'm driving at. His quote that he had was from G.K. Chesterton. And Chesterton says things so well. And the quote said, uh, let your faith be less of a theory and more of a love story. Let your faith be less of a theory and more of a love story. Amen. Amen. Do you feel that way? Does your faith, do you know that God left heaven for you? He came to pursue you. He came to make you his own. He doesn't just want your obedience. He wants that, but he wants so much more. He wants your obedience not because you might go to H-E double hockey sticks if you don't. He wants your obedience because you love him. Love creates obedience. When you get engaged, right? I always love seeing men who get engaged because men are just, we're just a mess. And all of a sudden, a guy looks really sharp. He's brushing his teeth for the first time. You know, he's, he's cleaning his car out. And you're like, why? It's because he's in love. Right? And that girl's like, all right, we're going to be flossing before you know it. <laughs> Women civilize men. That's for another homily. But they do. Right? And when you love, you become obedient. And love makes it so that obedience isn't even a struggle. It's something you desire to do. When you're in love, you want to lay your life down. You want to serve the person you love. Is your faith like that? Are you in love? Do you see the wedding that's coming? Here's a second point today. I want to, I want to share with you one passage about that that's outside of our readings today. We... We don't know too much about ancient Jewish weddings. We know some. We know some things. You know, we, we learn things in John chapter 2. There are certain passages in the Old Testament that teach us about Jewish weddings. We wish we knew more. But we know a few things about weddings. And one of the things we know is that it was typical in Jewish culture that when you got married, what you did, if you were a groom, you, your wife would be, they'd be betrothed, and then in preparation for your life as a married couple, you would go build your home that you two would live in. And I think there's something so beautiful about that. Right? The groom goes off and he builds the house that he will share his life with, with his bride. So cool. We actually think, we don't know, that might be happening in Matthew chapter 1, when it says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they had come together, Joseph was probably making their home. 
profoundly beautiful. And what would happen then is once the house was completed and that when the wedding day was set, the groom would go to the bride's home and she would be living with her parents. And we don't know everything that would happen there, but the wedding was a symbolic thing where he took her from her parents' home and he led her to their new home. And when they got to their new home, there would be a procession, and that's what our gospel is about this morning. These ten virgins are waiting for that procession from the bride's house to the new home, and they're waiting for the groom to come. And what they would do is they would go out, and they would be part of the procession that would escort the bride and groom into their new home. I think we should do this again. This is so cool. It's so beautiful. That means you can't live together before you're married. After you're married, you can. Anyway, so that's what's going on in our gospel today. So listen to this now after you've heard that. In John chapter 14, right after the Last Supper, the the Last Supper in John is in chapter 13. In chapter 14, Jesus says this. He's told the apostles he's going to leave. He says, I'm I'm about to die. I'm leaving. And here's what he said. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. You all know that passage, I hope. That's a wedding proposal. So when Jesus leaves us, when he goes to the cross, he rises from the dead and ascends to heaven, the apostles are the early church. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a home for you. But I'll come back again and I will bring you to myself. Brothers and sisters, there's a wedding that's coming. There's an amazing wedding that's coming. And you're called to be a part of it. That's what our faith is. Jesus is the groom of the church. And the situation of us today is that you and I live in between. We live between the time when he's gone to build that house, to prepare a place for us, and when he'll come back again to bring us to himself. And if there is one virtue you need, we live in the in-between times. If you're going to live in between, which is what it means to be a Christian in a lot of ways, brothers and sisters, if you're going to live well in this time, one of the key virtues you need is what Jesus tells us today, which is the virtue of vigilance. All right, Jesus says this at the end of the parable today, right? The ten virgins, five foolish and five wise. And the ones who are wise are the ones who are prepared. They've been waiting for the groom's return. 
They weren't lazy about it. They weren't careless. Their hearts were vigilant. They were so bent, their hearts were fixated on the moment the groom would return. If you're going to be a Christian, the real temptation for us in our lives is to think he's not coming back. We can grow so fervent in our faith. We say, Jesus, I love you with everything. Right? With my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. And then you have kids. <laughs> and then work gets tough. And finances are tight. And life just goes. And it takes over. And we get distracted. And we forget that the groom is coming. Jesus says today in the parable that the groom was delayed. How are you living in that delay? Are you living as if the groom weren't coming back, as if our story were not the story of a groom who's coming to bring us to himself? Are you living that way? Are you living as if life were about your promotion or your next house or your next car? or about what's happening in Hollywood. Brothers and sisters, that is not what your life is about. There's a wedding that's coming. Now here's the temptation. There's a, there's a great axiom in the Middle Ages. And the medieval Christians used to say, a man is truly wise when all things taste to him as they are. A man is truly wise when all things taste to him as they are. And there's a word play in Latin there. The word for wisdom in Latin is sapientia. And the word for taste is sapere. Sapere sapientia. Wisdom, and today we have five foolish uh, virgins and five wise. Don't you want to be wise Jesus, I want to be one of those wise people waiting for you. Lord, I want to have wisdom not to be deceived by the delay. But I want to be ready. I want my heart to be watchful and vigilant. How do we do that, brothers and sisters? A person becomes wise when all things taste to him as they are. And here's the point. I think this is how you do it. We have to have that taste for heavenly things. The temptation is when we're waiting for that feast is to substitute a lesser love. All right, Thanksgiving's coming. And Thanksgiving, when it comes, we all know as Americans, right? We take our food seriously. Don't mess with the food. And when Thanksgiving comes, the wise people fast all morning, right? Because they're like, oh, yeah, stuffing, right? Cranberry sauce. I know how to eat. I'm wise about that. And you fast, and you say, you know, your little, when you were a kid, my, my little brother would fill up on, like, Lucky Charms or something, and I'm like, you fool. <laughs> If you were wise like me, you'd fast. You would wait for the great Thanksgiving Day feast. And it's something like that. 
We despair of the hope of the wedding feast of Christ, and so we settle for lesser loves. Brothers and sisters, there is a greater wedding feast. You were made for something more. The best thing on earth is marriage. It is the best thing on earth. But the marriage feast of heaven is greater. A man is truly wise when all things taste to him as they are. Have you settled for the lucky charms? Have you eaten something in the world that you want now because you're not vigilant? If you want to be a Christian in these in-between times, you have to set your hearts on heaven. And you say, the night's long. It's been a long time. The groom left a long time ago. But I know he's coming. And I know when he comes, there'll be the best wedding feast ever. You have to have vigilance if you're going to be a Christian. St. Augustine, when he converted to the faith, he was wrestling with so many things, and he had given his heart to the world. Right? Augustine pursued pleasure and power and prestige, all the things that we're all tempted to pursue. And Augustine, when he was wrestling with the faith and saying, Lord, I, I want to give my heart to you, but I'm just not there, and he was back and forth, and there was this great love story, right? Make your faith less of a theory and more of a love story. Augustine was wrestling with God, and then one day he picked up the Bible, and he opened it at random. And this is the passage he read in Romans 13. It said, besides this, you know what hour it is, how it is full time now for you to wake from sleep. Are you awake? Do you know what's happening? Do you know what the real story of your life is? Or are you just asleep at the wheel going one day to the next? What's my next movie I'm going to watch? What's my next meal I'm going to eat? It is full time now for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. When you know something great is coming, brothers and sisters, when your heart's set on that, you're prepared. In our wedding parable today, and the one we heard a couple weeks ago from Matthew 22, they both end with a judgment scene. And there's those who are led into the wedding and those who are not allowed in. And here's the last thing I want to leave you with this morning. Love is the best thing. It is salvific. Love saves us. The love of God saves us. But love is also a judgment. The times I have felt judgment the most in my life, and it's a good sort of judgment, but the times I have felt a judgment, have you ever met someone who lived as you know Christ wants them to? Right, every once in a while, I'll, I'll meet a, a priest or a bishop or, or just a Christian, and I look at them and I say, that person 
that's what I'm supposed to be. And I've forgotten that. And when you see them, you say, you just see it. You see the love that you were supposed to live in. The judgment that Christ brings when he comes, brothers and sisters, what will happen is you and I will see him in his beauty and his truth and his glory. And you will know at that moment that that was everything you were supposed to live for. That's the judgment. Lord, I know, you will know at that moment, you'll say, I know I was supposed to always be living for this moment. And so Jesus, Lord, give us hope and vigilance. Lord, make us ready. On that day when you come, Jesus, I don't want to just have followed the rules. I want to have been vigilant because I love you. Because I know that the things in front of me aren't really what matter. But I love you, the groom, the savior of the church, the one who gives his life for his bride. Jesus, we love you. Make us watchful. This morning we have a blessing and a commissioning of all those who serve as extraordinary ministers of the Holy Eucharist. And so at this time I'd like to invite up any of those EHMCs. If you're someone who distributes the body and blood of Christ, please come forward in front of the altar as we pray a prayer of blessing over you. My dear friends in Christ, our brothers and sisters are to be entrusted with administering the Eucharist, with taking communion to the sick, and with giving it as viaticum to the dying. In this ministry, you must be examples of Christian living in faith and conduct. You must strive to grow in holiness through the sacrament of unity and love. Remember that though many, we are one body because we share the one bread and the one cup. As ministers of Holy Communion, be therefore especially observant of the Lord's command to love your neighbor. For when he gave his body as food to his disciples, he said to them, This is my commandment, that you should love one another as I have loved you. And so I ask you, are you resolved to undertake the office of giving the body and blood of the Lord to your brothers and sisters and so serve to build up the church? Are you resolved to administer the Holy Eucharist with the utmost care and reverence? 
And I'll ask our congregation to please stand. And our ministers, if you're able to, to please kneel. My dear friends in Christ, let us pray with confidence to the Father. Let us ask him to bestow his blessings on our brothers and sisters chosen to be ministers of the Eucharist. Merciful Father, creator and guide of your family, bless these our brothers and sisters. May they faithfully give the bread of life to your people, strengthened by the sacrament May they come at last to the banquet of heaven. And we ask this through Christ, our Lord.